Hey everybody, I want to thank you so much for joining us today for church. I love Sundays because it is the day that we get to gather uh, in a world that seems really scattered, really isolated. Sunday is the day that we get to come together and we're so glad that you are with us today. Man, I'm glad it's April. I'm glad the month of March is over. I had one of my friends last week tell me March was the longest year of his life. And I know it felt like that for many of us. Not only are we into a new month, but right as we enter April, we get to enter Easter. It's going to look different than it's ever looked before, but I'm so excited that we get to be reminded of the hope we have right as we enter a brand new month. You know, I don't know if you saw the article last week, but uh, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, this is the church that's built over the place in Jerusalem where they believe that Jesus was crucified, buried, and then resurrected. The Church of the Sepulchre closed its doors last week for the first time since 1349 AD. Let me give you just a little idea of how long ago um, that was. That was 671 years ago. That was, to put it in a little different context, 143 years before Christopher Columbus got on a boat to come to the New World. That's the last time that this church, built in 326 AD, has closed its doors and said you cannot visit the place where Jesus was crucified, buried, and resurrected. But here's what's true. This week, the church that's built over the tomb of Jesus is going to be closed But the tomb is going to be open. And that is the hope of Easter. That is the hope of our church. That is the hope of our faith. And journey next week, we're going to head into an Easter that looks different because the doors of our church are going to be closed on Easter weekend. But the tomb is going to be open. And that really is all that matters. Listen, Jesus didn't come and die on the cross so that we could go to church. On Sunday, he came to die on the cross so that we could go to heaven when it was time to leave this world and go to our eternal one. Jesus didn't die on the cross to open the doors of a church building. Jesus died on the cross to open the doors of hearts. And we have a very, very special opportunity next week to to help in opening the hearts of people by inviting them to be a part of what we are doing. I believe there are hundreds, if not thousands of people in our community who would not have joined you for church next week at Easter because they may not have been comfortable getting up, getting dressed, coming to a church service, but they will join you online from the comfort of your home to hear the message that God has for them. So we, we all week long are going to be sending you tools and resources. We're putting together a website, Easter at JC. CI.com. We want you to go onto that website. That website's going to tell your family how to get ready to have a tremendous Easter at home. And it's going to tell you how you can leverage your influence with people that you know and love to invite them to be a part of what is happening at Journey on Easter Sunday. The church may be closed. But as long as the tomb is open, we have hope, and that's what we are planning to celebrate next week. Hey, if you have your Bibles today, I want to invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 7. That's where we're going to hang out in our Bible study time today. If you haven't already, today is probably a pretty important day to get the sermon notes. So if you're on your app, you can go to sermon notes and you can download those sermon notes, follow along on your phone. Um, today, today's notes are notes that you're going to, want, going to want to hang on to. They're notes you're going to want to keep. We've got some great quotes. We've got some good outlines in there. Today's notes are really, really valuable. So make sure that you grab those. And as you move towards Genesis chapter 7, let me say this just before we pray quickly. Uh, we don't take offering, obviously, in our online church services. There's nobody to pass buckets to. But let me say this to those of you who have been given. Thank you. 
Um, we wrapped up March, and honestly, it was stronger than we thought it would be. So I just want to say thank you. We've said since this coronavirus pandemic hit that w- there are three crowds of people that we're talking to when it comes to giving. If you normally give to Journey and you're still being paid, we're asking you to continue giving. If you normally go to Journey, but you've not engaged in giving yet, but you're still being paid in this season, we're going to ask you to consider starting to give because there are people at our church who normally come and normally give and right now they're not receiving a paycheck we're asking them not to give but instead to let us know how we can serve them Uh, and our people have just been so generous those of you watching all around the country have been so generous thank you for the way that you've been given before we dig into genesis chapter 7 today let me remind you three ways that you can give you can give online at our website takethejourney.cc backslash give. That's how Danielle and I give every time we get paid through our website. You can text to give. This number will send you a link so that you can give. This is how my two teenagers give. You can give through the mobile app if you have that in your hand right now. Or if you're like my mom and dad who mail a check, you can go on our website, takethejourney.cc backslash give. It will give you the address to send a check to. We have ushers who once a week are checking the mail and counting all the offering just like it's a Sunday morning and depositing it in the bank. And our people have been so, so, so faithful. And I want to, from the bottom of my heart, say thank you for the way you are giving because that's going to leverage our church to be in a position to give when it's our time to help our community and they call upon us to help meet needs. Before we ever dig into Scripture, we always ask God to open our hearts uh, with a quick prayer. So wherever you are, would you bow your heads with me quickly? Would you take a deep breath if you haven't done that yet today or this week? And would you just right where you are ask God to speak to your heart? Just whisper that prayer to heaven. Ask God to speak to your heart. God, that's our prayer today, that you would speak to us. God, thank you for those in our congregation, friends across the country, who right now are still able to make an income and still able to give in the offering. God, as a church, we trust you for the resources that we need to be who you've called us to be in our community. God, as we continue through this season, we ask that you would be with all those suffering the direct consequences of the coronavirus. We pray that you'd be with those who are sick, those who are ill, those who are suffering, those who have family members in that state, anyone who's lost a loved one. We pray, Lord, you continue to be with those in the medical field battling on the front line, sometimes with less resources than they need. Bless them, protect them, watch over them, Lord. We pray for those whose jobs have been upended or furloughed for a season. God, give them hope. Lord, let them find help where they need help right when they need help. Lord, be with all the teachers and coaches learning how to teach and coach from afar, business leaders who are trying to figure out the way forward, and everyone else, Lord, suffering from the consequences of this season. Watch over them, bless them. God, bring healing. Healing to our people, healing to our community, healing to our country. Bring healing and move quickly, Jesus. And between now and then, move all of us into a deeper relationship with Jesus. That's our prayer. And God, we pray that you would help us with that today. We love you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Thanks for taking time to pray with me. We're in week two of a series at our church that we're calling The Waiting Room. We're trying to figure out what to do uh, when you don't know what to do. We're trying to figure out um, what to do when there's really no place to go. We didn't choose this time. 
We're trying to figure out how to use this time by looking at the lives of people who had a 30 or 40 day kind of stay at home order issued for them, Noah and Moses and Elijah and Jesus. Today we're going to start with Noah in Genesis chapter 7. For those maybe brand new to church, brand new to the Bible, brand new to the story of the world through the lens of God, Genesis is the first book in the Bible. The word Genesis is a word that means beginnings. This book is about how everything began. In Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, we read about the creation of a perfect world. We read about the corruption of that world as man and woman chose to do things their way instead of God's way. And then we read about a a promise of a recreation, a reconnection with God through a relationship of a Savior who would come. In Genesis 4, we see the consequences of that corruption. We see a family that is broken Um, by difficult relationships, two boys, Cain and Abel, who cannot get along, one kills the other. In Genesis 5, we're kind of given a genealogy of, you know, here's who descended from Adam and Eve. Basically, this is how the earth was populated. Here's who's on it. And then in Genesis chapter 6, we meet a world filled with people, and it's not going well. As a matter of fact, God looks at the world, and he said it's filled with wickedness. It's filled with violence. It's filled with sexual abuse. And God says, we're going we're to have to start over. This is not working well. So God comes up with a plan, and he announces that plan in Genesis chapter 6. And here is the plan. He's going to send a flood that's going to destroy everyone who's on the earth, but he's going to find a righteous man. His name's going to be Noah. He's going to have him build an ark. He's going to rescue him. He's going to keep him safe. He's going to allow him to endure the flood, and then he's going to start over with him. We're going to pick up Noah's story today in Exodus chapter 7, verse 11. The rain's getting ready to fall, and here's what we read. It says, In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were open, and rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On that very day, Noah and his son Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, entered the ark. They had with them every wild animal according to its kind, all livestock according to their kinds, every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, everything with wings, pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing, as God commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut him in. For 40 days the flood kept coming on the earth, and as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 15 cubits. That's almost 25 feet. Every living thing that moved on land perished, birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth and all mankind, everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him on the ark. Man, Noah's story is a brutal story, but it's one we want to learn from today. What can we learn from Noah's story that could help us in this season of waiting. I've got two goals for today that I think Noah's story is going to teach us. The first is this, to learn the spiritual practice of lament. You might actually write in the margin of your notes, spiritual complaining. I want to teach you today how to complain spiritually, not to each other, but to God. I want to teach you how to complain spiritually, and I want to show you how learning how to complain about things to God can deepen the intensity 
and intimacy of your relationship with God. N.T. writes, the professor of New Testament and early Christian history at the University of St. Andrews, and this week he was quoted in an article about how Christianity is addressing the coronavirus, and I thought it was so appropriate what he said as he spoke about what was going on. He said, no doubt the usual silly suspects in Christianity will try to tell us why God is doing this to us. A punishment? A warning? Is it a sign? These are knee-jerk, would-be Christian reactions in a culture which generations back embraced rationalism where everything had to have an explanation. But supposing it doesn't. Supposing real human wisdom doesn't mean being able to string together some dodgy speculation so that we can say at the end of it, oh, this, this is why it's supposed to happen. Everything's going to be all right. Rationalist, including Christian rationalist, want explanations. Romantics, including Christian romantics, they want to be given a sigh of relief. But perhaps what we need more than either is to recover the biblical tradition of lament. Lament is what happens when people ask why and don't get an answer. It's where we get to when we move beyond our self-centered worry about our sins and feelings, having to be all about us, and we look more broadly at the suffering in the entire world. It is no part of the Christian vocation then to be able to explain what's happening and why. In fact, it's part of the Christian vocation not to be able to explain things and to lament instead. We meet a man in Scripture named Jeremiah who wrote an entire book on laments called Lamentations. What do laments help us do? When something happens that is so terrible that there are absolutely no answers... What do Christians do? What do we say? How do we act? Did you know there's a spiritual activity for that time called lament that helps you when there are no good answers to a problem, complain to God and grow in intimacy with him? We're going to learn how to do that today. And here's why we're going to learn to do that. Because our second goal is is for all of us to choose worship in the face of overwhelming distress. It's something we're going to have to choose because we probably won't feel it. But we want to learn today through the life of Noah, how to choose worship in the face of overwhelming distress. We're going to look at two things that kind of show us how this works. Number one, we're going to look at the life of Noah. We're going to look at his 40 days of isolation. I thought when, when, I, when God impressed this series on my heart, that what I was going to do is I was going to look at the life of Noah. I was going to look at the life of Moses, Elijah, Jesus, and I was going to kind of deconstruct what they did in their 40 days alone. I was going to learn from it. And I was going to teach it to you so we could do it too. Uh, And we will do that. We will do that in the life of Moses. We will do that in the life of Elijah. We will do that a little bit in the life of Jesus. But Noah, um, when I dug into Noah's story a little bit, I thought, okay, we're not going to be able to do that because here is everything the Bible tells us about Noah's 40 days of isolation in the ark. Um, It rained, full stop. That's, I mean, that's, that's all the Bible tells us. During Noah's 40 days on the ark, all we know is it rained. Now, we can assume um, some other things that, that he did. We can assume that he fed the animals. We can assume the smell of the boat. Um, we can assume the seasickness. We can assume um, probably the tears and the loneliness. We can, uh, we can presume the cabin fever. Like We can presume probably a lot of things that were going on during these 40 days. But I think sometimes we think so much about what Noah did that maybe we forget what he felt and what he was processing spiritually. 
Because here is one of the things that was happening while it was raining. Every family member, every extended family member, every neighbor, and every friend that Noah had died during those 40 days of rain except the seven who were on the ark with him. You say, what did Noah do on the ark? We can probably assume that he did all kinds of things. You say, what did Noah feel on the ark? You know, we're told in the genealogy of Genesis chapter 5 that Noah's grandpa's name was Methuselah. Uh, Noah was born when he was 369 years old. Methuselah died at 969 years old, which was both the year of the flood and potentially in the flood. Noah's dad died five years before the flood. We're told that both Methuselah and Noah's dad Lamech had lots more sons and daughters. Probably all of those died in the flood. Neighbors, cousins, friends, co-workers. When you really begin to process this, we can imagine what Noah may have been doing for 40 days. I don't know that we can begin to imagine how he felt. And as we process what Noah may have, must have felt, really we have to look to the end of the 40 days to see what was going on in his heart and what God did in him to strengthen his relationship with God. And that's the second thing where we want to spend most of our time today is we want to look at Noah's response to the great distress of his reality. 40 days in an ark with rain and then almost a year with no rain Every person that he's ever known or interacted with or been related to has died. And then he gets to the end of this season. You say, man, what did Noah do that shows us anything spiritually that we can learn? Well, as we look at Noah's story, here was his response. The first thing that Noah did when he and his family departed the ark was worship God. The very first thing. You say, man, I'd have kissed the dry ground too. I think it was more than that. The very first thing that Noah did when he and his family got off the ark was worship God. You say, where is that? Genesis chapter 8, verses 18, 19, and 20. In verse 18, we read, finally, after one year and ten days on the ark, 40 days of rain, then almost a year for the waters to recede and the land to dry out, one year and ten days on the ark. After that, Noah comes out together with his sons, his wives, And his son's wife. Verse 19, the animals come out too. So here come all the animals, all those that move on the land. They came out one kind after another. Okay, what did he do? Verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. And taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. We don't, we not only don't learn a ton, we don't learn anything about what Noah did for the 40 days that it was raining on the boat. But what we learn about what he did before it started raining, and what we learn about what he did after it started raining tells us what was happening in his heart while it was raining. It shows us something about his faith. And when we look before the rain and after the rain, here's an important lesson on faith that some of us need to choose to learn and embrace today. Here's what we learn about Noah. Faith chooses to endure trouble on the front end of the trouble. Faith chooses, before there's a light at the end of the tunnel, that when there's a light at the end of the tunnel, it will be accompanied by not just my faith, but by a stronger faith. Faith chooses that it's going to make it through 
before it's through. And that was Noah's story. As a matter of fact, if we look more carefully into this, we see there was a plan in place for Noah to worship at the end of his distress before his difficult season had even begun. Before one drop of rain had fallen. Before one friend or family member had perished. Before one hour of seasickness. Before one stall had to be cleaned out. Before any of that happened, Noah said, I'm not sure how this is going to end. However, here's what I'm going to do at the end. I'm going to worship anyway. I'm not sure how this is going to turn out, but I'm going to tell you how I'm going to turn out. When I get to the end, I'm going to worship anyway. Noah knew that he was going to worship regardless of what happened during the flood. You say, Christian, where do you see that lesson? I, I didn't see it that clearly. Where did you see that lesson? Let me give you a pop quiz, okay? Pop quiz. Pay attention. Here we go. How many of each animal did Moses take on the ark? Answer, zero. That was a trick question. Moses didn't take anyone on the ark. I was just making sure you're paying attention. So now that you're paying attention, pop quiz number two, okay? How many of each animal did Noah take on the ark? The answer is not two. I guess it could be two. Technically, he took two of everything, but he took 14, 14 of a lot of things. Say, Christian, where's where's that? Genesis chapter 7. We got to read the whole story. God said, take with you seven pairs, 14, of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, and one pair of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate, and also seven pairs, so 14 14 of all the birds, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. You say, why? Why 14 of some and two of some? Because there was a plan in place for Noah to worship at the end of the flood, regardless of how the flood turned out. You say, Christian, how do you know that? Because clean animals were used in sacrifices to God that were a part of worship. And Noah said, it's my responsibility to make sure that all these animals are able to procreate and continue once this flood is over. However, I'm going to need some for me that allow me to worship God. So God says, make sure you take enough to worship before this thing even begins. We're going to plan to worship at the end of it, and I'm going to prepare you to worship with everything that you will need, regardless of how it works out. At the end, you're going to worship anyway. Regardless of the outcome, watch this, regardless of the outcome of the coronavirus, there's some of us who say, regardless of where this thing ends, here's how it's going to end. I'm going to worship anyway. I'm just going to worship anyway, but that worship is going to be the worship of lament. It's going to be the worship of lament. I'm going to learn through this process how to complain spiritually to God. Now listen, some of you are already experts at it. Uh, You don't have to be taught how to complain before God. But what you're going to learn is some of your complaints, if you'll see them the way God sees them, are already drawing your heart closer to God if you'll just finish, if you'll learn how to lament. You say, what is lament? Let's go back to Professor Wright one more time. Lament is what happens when people ask why and don't get the answers. It's where we get to when we move beyond, okay, I'm going to be okay. When we move beyond our self-centered worry and our sins and failings, it's where we get to when we look more broadly at the suffering of the world and think this makes no sense. That's where lament comes because it's not part of the Christian life to be able to explain what's happening and why. In fact, it's actually part of the Christian life not to be able to explain 
and to lament instead. So in a season where I don't know how to explain what's going on, I have to learn to lament. And in a season where you can't explain what's going on, we have to learn to lament. And if we want our world to see our God when we cannot explain what God is doing, we have to learn to lament. Because here's what we're going to learn through the Psalms. When we choose to lament, when we choose to learn how to complain spiritually, but we pray it all the way through, we begin to understand the heart of God. As a matter of fact, I would say this, I don't know that you really can begin to understand the heart of God until you've got some complaints spiritually. We have been at our church going through the Psalms the last two weeks, just trying to find daily comfort in a daily Psalm and what we've been calling a a daily refrigerator verse that just kind of helps us pull out a theme of hope for the day. But the theology of the Psalms is very, very interesting. There are 150 Psalms in the book of Psalms, which in you know, biblical study is called the Psalter, the book of Psalms. There's 150, and there's really three types. There are Psalms of orientation, disorientation, reorientation. They actually go in that order. Psalms of, if you're taking real careful notes, orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. Psalms of, reorient, uh, Psalms of orientation are like Psalm 1. Psalm 1 says, here is how I am oriented to the world. Uh, righteous people get blessed, wicked people get cursed. That is the orientation that when you first maybe become a Christian, that's the, that's the worldview that you have, right? If I do good, I'll get blessed. If I do wicked, I'll, I'll be cursed. That is the orientation of kind of simple Christian belief. Some of you were taught your entire life a posture of orientation. Follow God, everything goes good. Don't follow God, everything goes bad. Thankfully, for those of us who were raised like that, there are psalms of disorientation. Nearly a third of the psalms, between 42 and 55, depending on how you count, 42 to 55 different psalms that are psalms of disorientation. Psalms of disorientation are this. It's the world turned upside down. Psalms of disorientation read like this. Um, I thought righteous people got blessed, wicked people got cursed. That's what I thought. That's what I've been taught. What I've experienced is bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. What I have been taught is not what I am experiencing and it's disorienting spiritually. I don't know whether I can trust God or not. Psalms of disorientation. And then the Psalms end with Psalms of reorientation. Psalms of reorientation means I have a new worldview that sounds like this. Um, The righteous are blessed and the wicked are cursed, but not always in this lifetime eternally one day, spiritually, internally one day. The righteous are blessed and the wicked will feel cursed. However, in life, sometimes things will seem upside down and good things will happen, uh, bad things will happen to good people and, and good things will happen to bad people. But it's only after I've learned to process that that I choose to worship anyway because of the internal and the eternal promises. I don't even know that you can really begin to grow spiritually until you've been through a time of disorientation. Until you have gone through a time where you question everything you were taught because of what you're experiencing it. And then you come out of that experience and you choose to worship anyway. That is a psalm of lament. And when we study them, they all have very similar forms. I want to show you these today because some of you have been lamenting already because your thought pattern, your thought process is already 
living in the outline of Psalms of Lament. So what are Psalms of Lament? When we look at Psalms of Lament, they always begin with a plea, crying out to God. The plea normally has five parts. It begins with a personal address to God. But I need you to notice the word personal here because there's a lot of people crying out, hey, what's God doing here? But they don't know God. The plea of the lament is always slightly disoriented. The plea of the lament is intimate and it's familiar, but it's confused. The the personal address to God when we look at this is, God, I thought I knew you and I understood you, but God, I'm really confused right now. It's very personal. It's very intimate, but it's very disoriented. It's not an unknown God. It's a deeply familiar God who you're learning something new about. That leads letter B to a complaint against God. The complaint against God usually raises to the level of, God, this is happening, and either you should do something about it, you're not doing anything about it, or it's all your fault, actually. I think a lot of us have actually, that's why I say we've been living in, We've been living in a lament because we're wondering, God, what are you doing? God, when are you going to do it? God, why aren't you doing anything about it? This problem, God, ultimately is your responsibility. Gosh, maybe it's your fault. The plea then continues, letter C, with the petition of God. But the petition of God is almost always selfish. The petition of God is, God, I need you to, I need you to move. I need you to do something. But it's because here's what I need out of it. So the petition really is much more personal than communal. God, I, I need you to help, um, but here's why. Here's, here's what I need you to do. And by the way, normally in the petition, the, the person praying the lament would say, and I really deserve this. Because remember, my orientation is that good people are blessed. I've been pretty good. So I need you to do this for me, and really I deserve it. But then there is, I love this one, because I've heard this from our people. Then there is a motivation for God to move. This is where the psalmist is actually trying to motivate God. Hey, God, it's actually good for you. If, like, it, like, God, if you end this, it's going to make you look good. I mean, I've heard people say, man, a lot of people are going to come to Jesus through this. Sure they are. A lot of people are going to understand who God is because of this. Yes, I understand that. But we don't have to remind God, God, if you move, this could work in your favor. But the psalmist does that. Some of us have been living in this lament. God, just please do this because, boy, if God, if a... Like if something miraculous would happen, God, a lot of people would find you as if God needs us to remind him of what he's trying to do in the first place. And then letter E, when these four things don't work, there is imprecation. Imprecatory psalms are psalms that basically ask God to annihilate something or someone who has disappointed us. The imprecation of the psalms of lament is basically this threat against God. God, if you don't step in here, I don't know that I want to follow you anymore. God, if you don't step in here, my faith is going to be shaking. God, if you, it's like threatening God. God, if you don't step in here, this could be really, really bad for you and me and our relationship. You say, Christian, man, the Psalms of Lament, those sound really, really bad. Actually, they're not. Actually, they're not. Walter Brueggemann is an expert on the theology of the Psalms. And speaking of laments, he said, these pleas don't lead to atheism or doubt in God or rejection of God. They actually lead to more intensity with God. And I think in this season that has an undetermined time limit, but could have a definite finish line of worship anyway, I think laments can be powerful for teaching us to really, really lean into God. Now, laments 
rarely stay there. As a matter of fact, of the 50 or so laments in Scripture, only two, only two don't end this way. Almost all of them end with a praise. Psalms of lament, they begin with a plea, but they end with a praise. And you say, what is the praise? First, the psalmist always praises God with the assurance of being heard. He doesn't praise God because God answered his prayer, but he praises God because God heard his prayer. And this, just that fact that God hears my complaints, is comforting. So there's always this move to praise of, God, I know my spirit's worried and I'm troubled and I'm struggling and I'm angry and I'm complaining. But just the fact that you allow me to do that and you hear me, that's comforting to me. So there's a move to praise. There's also almost always a payment of vows that goes something like this. God, I know a long time ago I committed to such and such and I really haven't done that, but this this season has made me remember where I've gotten off track. So God, I want you to know you've got my attention and that's, that's worth praising you over. Because I was kind of drifting, but you've used this to get my attention. So there's this payment of vows that, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm back in the game. You've used this to get me back in the game. Thank you. And then there's letter C. There's almost always a doxology and a praise. A doxology is a theological truth of God where you wrap back around to realizing God is eternal. God is immortal. God is omniscient. God is omnipotent. God is uh, omnipresent. There's this thought of just complaining. And realizing that you're hearing me has kind of reminded me who you are. And that gives me tremendous comfort, so I will praise you. I think the key question you should be asking as you work your way through these Psalms of Lament is is this. Well, what happens to turn the plea to praise? And, And the answer is difficult, but we find it. The answer is a spiritual transaction took place in the unspoken space. Often we don't understand what happened between a plea in verse 5 and a praise in verse 6. We don't know what occurred to take a plea in verse 17 and turn it into a praise in verse 18. All we know is that the act of crying out to God, the act of complaining to God, the act of lament did something to the heart that turned it towards praise. We don't know exactly what happened with Noah during his 40 days on the ark. We know what happened before. We know what happened after All we know is that at some point in these 40 days of wrestling with God, a spiritual transaction took place that resulted in worship. And you have to understand the worship of lament because it was worship before there was an answer. Lament is worship sometimes when there's no answer. Lament is worship even when we don't like the answer. It's worship anyway, but it's not worship without lament. And that's where I found myself this week. Uh, On Monday of this week, the president came out with his task force and they said the stay-at-home orders, which were set to expire at the end of March, were going to now go through the end of April. We've been working really, really hard to adjust to those orders and, and praying and hoping that things would get better, faster, maybe even potentially by Easter. And when those orders came down Monday night, I had a friend who, who texted me, I mean, almost real time as the press conference was happening. Hey, Christian, did you see the president's order? Stay-at-home orders now. Gatherings of less than 10 through the end of April. How are you feeling? And when he reached out to me on text, I, I went to texting back and I saw the dashboard of emojis open up on my phone. And when he said, how are you feeling? I sent him this emoji. 
It's not an emoji I've ever used before. But when I looked at it, I thought, that's what I feel like. I feel like, I feel tired. I feel weary. I feel discouraged. I feel disheartened. Um, I feel like I might not make it all the way through. I feel, I feel defeated. That's, that's how I feel. And I looked at that emoji and I thought, that guy looks like what I feel like. I feel lament. I feel lament. I had a pastor friend that I reached out to just yesterday. Just said, how are you doing? How's the church doing? Anything that we can do for you? And he texted me back, and it's funny. He didn't send me the face, but he sent me the sentence. He said, you know, my wife and I, um, we're beginning to feel sad. You know, we were hopeful, um, and we were reacting, and we were trying to serve people. But honestly, we just, we feel sad. We feel sad that we're not going to get to see our people. We feel sad that our people are not going to get to see our people. And Journey, I'll be honest with you. I've, I've been trying as hard as I can to have peace and give peace. I believe it's my calling. I believe it's our calling in this season. And Journey, I'll, I'll be honest, I've been trying as hard as I can to have hope and to give hope. I believe it's our calling in this season. But there are moments when I feel like this. There are moments when I feel lament. And what I'm glad to know is that these are moments, if I work my way through them, and if I choose to worship anyway, these are moments that will give me a greater intensity and intimacy in my relationship with God. I feel like this, but I'm also going to, like Job, I'm going to worship and I'm going to claim, and even if it kills me, I'm going to hope in Him. This was Job sitting in the midst of his lament. Job said, I'm going to worship anyway, even though it feels like it's going to kill me. I'm going to hope in him. And Journey, that's our hope. That even though this season, even though this situation feels like it might crush us and there's no answers, we're going to hope anyway. Every week for the past few weeks at our church, we've been reading a psalm of the day. We're going to continue to do that as a church. I've got a psalm every day for you, but this week they are all psalms of lament. Psalm 3, 4, 5, 7, 22. By the way, Psalm 22, on Friday, Jesus quoted while he was hanging on the cross. You say, how powerful are psalms of lament? Jesus quoted one that he had memorized while he hung on the cross. Saturday, Psalm 13, Sunday, Psalm 10. I think Psalm 13 is going to be really good for our church this week because Pastor Ryan and I take about five minutes on the Activate podcast this week and we look at all of the aspects of a psalm of lament in Psalm 13. We kind of do a verse-by-verse, phrase-by-phrase study of that and I point out for you the plea, the petition, the motivation, the complaint. I point out to you the appreciation that God hears, the the vow of commitment. I point out all those things to you and here's why I want to do that for our church because when my family this week gets together and reads the psalm every day, I'm going to ask my kids to identify all eight of those aspects in the Psalms that we read. I'm going to teach them how to study the Bible while I teach them how to complain to God and grow close to God. So check out the Activate podcast this week. And of course, every day we've got a refrigerator verse from these Psalms focusing on an aspect of potentially complaint, an aspect of praise, an aspect of questioning, just things that are going to draw us deeper in our intensity with God. Some of you say, Christian, 
man, it's Easter week. Like, are you sure on Easter week, we, like, we want to do psalms of lament? Like, isn't this, this the week to dance around with palm branches? Is Palm Sunday today? Man, we're getting ready for the resurrection. Are you sure you want to do psalms of lament like this week? I am. I am. I'm absolutely sure. You say, why? Because the reality is Easter week is a picture of the power of lament. Easter week is a picture of the power of lament. Easter week starts with lament. Jesus rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And he's praised by many, but he's cursed by many. The Pharisees and the religious leaders say, tell everyone to be quiet. That has to break the heart of God. Jesus rode into the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers. His heart was grieved by how people worshipped. As he left Jerusalem the next day, more lament. He passed by a fig tree that looked like it was in its season of bloom, but there was no fruit on it. And Jesus cursed it and said, let there be no fruit on you ever again because it was a spiritual picture of a nation in Israel that looked primed to take the gospel to the world, yet there was no spiritual fruit in their tree. It was a time of lament. Midweek, Jesus would have his feet anointed with a very expensive perfume and the finance manager of the disciples would rebuke the lady. Someone who had a mind for money more than supporting the gospel would say, we could have taken that money and used it for other things later for 30 pieces of silver. That same disciple would betray Jesus. It was a story of lament. Jesus would pray in the garden of Gethsemane so fervently that his sweat became like drops of blood, lamenting, asking God if there's any other way. If there's any other way, can we do it another way. He was arrested in that garden. He spent a night in total isolation in jail. The lament of Psalm 88 takes us into that dungeon with Jesus. He would be taken before Roman guards and he would be beaten. Another reason to lament in our heart and eventually he would be hung on a cross where he would quote Psalm 22, a psalm of lament. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He would die, he'd be taken off that cross, he would be buried in a tomb. But three days later, all of the lament, the power of the lament, the heart of God broken for humanity, would be broken through as that tomb burst open and Jesus stepped out and everlasting life was given to every spirit that had ever been broken by anything. Easter is a picture of the power of lament. And if you don't know Jesus today, this Easter week, could be a picture of the power of lament for you. A story of a Savior whose heart and life were broken so that yours could become full. This week in Jerusalem, the church that's built over, the tomb of Jesus is closed, but the tomb is still open. And if your heart is open, the Jesus that stepped out of the tomb will step into your life and will change things forever. As the Apostle Paul said to the Church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, God is telling us, my grace, in this time my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, boast about this time of weakness. Lean in to this time of lament because when you do, Christ's power will rest on you for when you are weakest, then Jesus is strongest. That can be true of you if you'll open your heart and your life to him today. Would you pray with me? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed wherever you might be sitting, but hearts are open. 
If you're with us today and you don't know Jesus personally, you've never opened your heart to him, but you've realized through this message you can no longer just live for a broken world that ends in death. Open your heart and respond to his call to follow him today, even if it's in complaint of God, this world is not for me anymore. Open your heart to Jesus. If you've never committed to follow Jesus or ask him to forgive you of your sin, to clean you up from the inside out, you can do that right where you are. Simply pray these words right where you are. You don't have to pray them out loud from your heart to heaven. Just repeat this prayer after me. Jesus, I need you. That's right. Right where you are, pray these words. Jesus, I need you. I need your hope. Just repeat after me. I need your forgiveness. I need your direction. Today, I want to follow you out of this broken life to the life you've created me for and to the life you called me to. Today, I ask you to forgive my sins, become a part of my life, direct my future, and give me eternal life. Jesus, I will follow you. If you just prayed that prayer today, things in eternity have changed forever. We want to celebrate with you. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to answer your questions. In just a minute, I'll give you a way that you can reach out to us after the service. But maybe you're here and you're a Christian that's struggling. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, but hearts are open. Maybe you're a Christian who the last three weeks has been trying to put a positive spin on this season without allowing yourself to stop to lament. If that's you, you've been staying in the shallow and spiritually. Maybe it's time to move into the deeper water of expression, of complaint, of honesty from your heart to God's. It will bring you closer to Him. If that's you, ask God today to give you the courage and the permission to share your heart honestly and openly, to complain to Him if you have to in this season. And ask God in the unspoken spaces of those conversations to begin to turn your heart to praise. God, we know this is not a good season and there are so many outcomes, Lord, that will not be good. We want to choose to worship anyway. Thank you for teaching us the skill of biblical complaint. Help us to get it all out so the intensity and intimacy of our relationship with you grows and then help us regardless of the outcome to choose to worship anyway god that's our prayer and we ask for your help in it today we ask all these things today in jesus name and everyone said amen amen thank you so much for being with us today don't leave yet if you made a spiritual decision today if you said yes to jesus for the very first time and opened your heart to him if maybe you're recommitting your life to jesus or if you need help talking through some of these difficult things spiritually. We want to hear from you. We want to know you. We want to help you. So you can fill out an online connect card, text the words, pull out your smartphone right now, 474747, text the words journey connect to that number. We'll send you a form that'll allow you to tell us if you made a spiritual decision. 
allow you to tell us if you need any help with anything. Allow you to tell us what prayer requests that you have. If you opened your heart to Jesus, please let us know. We'd love to reach out to you, answer any questions, figure out how we can put a Bible in your hands and begin to assist you on your spiritual journey. Regardless of where you live in our country, let us know. Just reach out to us. And if you live locally in our community and you and your family need help, this is how you let us know. Journey Connect to 474747. Next Sunday is going to be incredible. Easter at Journey, we're going to be online. But we know the tomb is open and that's all that matters. This week, we're going to be sending you emails. We're going to probably put a lot of things on social media. Our goal this week is to equip you to invite your friends to watch Easter services with you from wherever they are, the two of you together, watching the same service at the same time so you can interact with them. And then if Jesus calls them out of a life of death into eternal life, we're going to ask for your help in following up with them. You can get all those details at Easter at jci.com. It's going to be an incredible weekend. We are going to celebrate the resurrection like every other year. It'll look different, but just because the church is closed doesn't mean the tomb is open. And that is the story of Easter. I also want to remind you, if you need just a little daily pick-me-up, um, we're praying every day, uh, as we already talked about, 24 at 12. Every day at noon on our Facebook site, we'll be praying. We'd love for you to be a part of that prayer service. Just 10 to 12 minutes every day at noon. Jump on Facebook Live. Take a deep breath. Stop the work. Stop the homeschooling. Dig into Scripture. Have a little time of prayer with us every day. Just stop to kind of rejuvenate your soul spiritually. Um, If you're still making an income and you normally give, please give. Uh, If you're still making an income and you don't normally give and you're a part of our church, start giving. If you're not making an income... Um, but you normally give. It's not your season to give. Let us help you. Remember, you can give any of these ways online, text to give. You can give through our mobile app. Um, Don't forget, next Sunday, Easter is going to be incredible. Tomorrow morning, we'll have prayer at 6 a.m., Monday morning prayer. Join us for Monday morning prayer. And then the next few days at noon on Facebook, join us for prayer. Easter week is going to be incredible all week long, even in this season of different. We're going to celebrate like we always have that Jesus is alive. And because Jesus is alive, we have hope and we can keep moving through. I'm going to invite Kendrian and Lauren and the team to our stage. They're going to close by worshiping over us. You can worship with them wherever you are. You can kind of remain in a state of prayer and let them worship over you if you want. Don't waste this opportunity to invite someone to celebrate Easter with you. There, I believe, are thousands of people in our community who may not have come to church with you on Easter if our doors were open, but they will watch online if you will ask them. Let's make the most of that opportunity. We didn't choose this season, but we'll use this season to tell people about Jesus. I cannot wait to be with you next week at 8, 9.30 or 11 a.m. to celebrate Easter Sunday as we close today. Worship with our team. Learn the practice of lament. Lean into Jesus. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Let's worship with Ken and Lauren and the team.